Hello and welcome to episode 94 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Chris Coughlin as we analyse Liverpool's 2-0 win over Rangers and preview Sunday's game against Arsenal. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So we have a win to talk about today. We haven't had too many of those this season, but Liverpool beaten Rangers yesterday, courtesy of a first-half free kick from Trent Alexander-Arnold. Much needed for him, obviously. And then a penalty early in the second half from Mo Salah. Now, that puts Liverpool on six points out of nine in the Champions League, second in the group, with Ajax third on three after they were beaten heavily by Napoli. And then next week, Liverpool will go to Rangers for the sort of second leg of the back-to-back, if you like, in the middle of the group followed by a trip to Ajax and then finishing the group, as they have done in the past, obviously, with Napoli at home. So let's get into it, as we usually do, with our three-word match reviews um, and kind of an assessment of the performance in general. Also, Chris, obviously you were there last night, so give us maybe some insight into what the atmosphere was like, because certainly on the television, it sounded like potentially the best atmosphere of the season so far. Yeah, Dave. I think I think that's fair to say. I'll start about the atmosphere. Really, it was it was quite spine tingling, to be honest with you. Just you know, the the atmosphere that was created throughout the day, really, because there were thousands of Rangers fans throughout the city as well. <laughs> you know, they they definitely came in their numbers, um, and I saw them from quite early on in the day, really, out and about. So obviously they. they look to make an atmosphere around uh, around the city as, as best they could and then in the ground I mean I, I was in the Anfield Road end last night and just before kickoff there were uh, a few flares set off um, in the Rangers end I couldn't see the pitch for about three minutes um, so yeah they, they definitely made the effort inside the ground as well and I think it was it definitely reciprocated from from Anfield I think there were acknowledgements that the atmosphere on Saturday hadn't helped proceedings. Um, there, you know, there were several things I saw on social media about needing almost the fans needing a bit of a a kickstart more than anything. And if you talk about the team, of course, it's been a slow start for the team, but the fans need to play their part. We look at nights like Dortmund, like Barcelona, um, and how crucial the fans were in those contests and i think that absolutely was a sign last night that the fans do have a big part to play in turning the the team's fortunes around this season um in terms of the three-word match report i've gone for it's good enough because in the first half i think it, you know it threatened to be quite convincing really of the, the early goal from trent alexander arnold and then several opportunities um, particularly for, for Darwin Nunez of course um, and then after Salah's penalty I just thought it was a time to kind of put the foot on the gas a little bit and, and really press home the advantage but it never really happened um, and the reason why I've said it's good enough in terms of, you know, in terms of something maybe a bit more um, happy or a bit more positive was because certainly in the last 10 minutes and that, that 
moment of madness or period of madness, if you like, when Simicast clears off the line and Alisson has to make a great save from Cholak, was just you saw in that moment the kind of fragilities that are still there. Because I was saying to my cousin and uncle just before that, you know, this should be three, this should be four. Because in the second half after Salah, there wasn't really that period of consistent pressure where you thought Liverpool were going to add a third necessarily. Of course, you know, there were chances like through like some Matip and Salah as well. Um, but yeah, I've gone for it's good enough because ultimately it's a two hill win. A win is a win and it's put Liverpool in a really good spot ahead of the return leg at Ibrox. I'll start with the fans point. I completely agree with what you're saying. I've always sort of thought that that fans aren't kind of apart from the action, if you get what I mean. They're more sort of active contributors. You know, they've got a role to play in what happens on the pitch. And, you know, you can't really expect the team to do their job to the best of, of their ability if you don't do the same, uh, in my opinion. As for the performance, um, I've gone with set the standard as my three-word review because I thought probably for the first, certainly the first half, um, and then maybe sort of leading into the, the hour, 70 minutes, Liverpool's pressing and intensity yesterday was was top draw, really. And that needs to be the benchmark in those categories for the rest of the season, really. Um, it, it was the best I, I'd seen us do it the whole year. Obviously, we fed off the crowd. Um, so that links back into, I suppose, what I was saying earlier. But yeah, the, it was really striking, I think. Um, and was that just you know, an exceptional pressing game or was that kind of a, a normal Liverpool pressing game? We maybe haven't seen that up to this point in the season, so that's why it stood out so much. But yeah, that was the most enjoyable aspect of the performance, I thought. You know, just able to basically suffocate Rangers in, in what I thought was sort of vintage Liverpool fashion. Um, and now, you know, that can't just be a reaction to the weekend. That has to be the norm if this team uh, wants to make a make a real fist of this season I suppose performance wise don't have too much to add on it really after what you've said I think there was a lot of control in that game again really refreshing given that we've allowed things to really slip out of our grasp a lot this season um most notably probably against Brighton but yesterday for basically the whole game until until that spell that you mentioned you know, Liverpool just wore Rangers like a glove. Um, and I think the fact that they did have those chances maybe speaks a little bit to the fact that the midfield that started the game and did well to control it. You know, they were both sub- subbed off. Um, so maybe that had a part to play in it. But yeah, control yeah. performance, great intensity and um, certainly could have been a much bigger margin. But for the fact that a few finishes were, I mean... McGregor made one or two outstanding saves, but a lot of the finishes were kind of down his throat or, or just um, towards the centre of the goal, maybe, and easy enough for him to save. And we'll maybe talk about one of the, the culprits for that <laughs> um, a, a little bit later on. Um, but one of the big headlines, Chris, arising from the game was Klopp springing a surprise by changing his system. Now, we'd said in his pre-match press conference that there wasn't time to implement a tactical change. Potentially misdirection because then he wheels out what looks like a 4-4-2 setup and that's kind of how it proved 
in the game with obviously the, the four attackers um, and Henderson and Thiago in the midfield. So how well do you think that setup worked? I don't mind it sometimes when managers keep things close to their chest um, because sometimes the managers can be maybe a bit too open if they're just like that. But um, I think, as you alluded to, given the kind of dominance in play, um, and I still stand by what I said in terms of it, it, it felt like it could have been more, which is why I said it's good enough as opposed to um, setting the standard. Um, but I think in a game where we all knew Liverpool were going to have so much possession, we all knew that it was likely going to be a, a you know, um, wearing Rangers down. I, I didn't mind it, <laughs> especially you know, given that it was a game that you know, Thiago and Henderson were allowed to kind of dictate the play. You know, they, they were on the ball lots of times. Um, and I think... Just just a side point to um, the point you've made there. I think where I've come from in terms of it's good enough is that the two goals came from set pieces as opposed to open play, which I don't know if you could read anything into that, but it's just the fact that the chances in open play weren't finished. But I think if if we create the amount of chances that we do in normal play, if that becomes a regular feature of the team again, then the goals will come. So there's not much to worry about that. It's it's, it's better to be getting the chances than not. Um, but yeah, it, it was brilliant, first of all, to get minutes in the legs of Jota and Nunez. That's really important, um, considering the period coming up. Uh, Diaz, I said on the pre, on the post-Brighton podcast, I don't want to see the guy benched ever again. Um, so he, he was back to his kind of dynamic best in terms of getting the ball. He, he controls it so well on the, on the full and just driving into the box, winning the penalty, of course. For Salah, still trying to appreciate his new role because he's still incredibly wide, wider than I would like to see him. But if it's something that he is at least going to use in terms of moving towards the box a bit more, I'll take it because I just it, it frustrates me to see him so far out on the wing and then he's having to work so hard to cut inside and things like that. But yeah, it was exciting, and it was it was quite all out attack really for for periods. And then, of course, as you say, the substitutions kind of slowed the game down a little bit. But no, it was a it was exciting, refreshing change really. And yeah, I think it it, it was a change that I didn't quite see. I didn't expect four forwards, but uh, no, I, I I like it. I think I'm not sure you could implement it in the Premier League as such, but. It's something that I think you could do next week at Ibrox, where Rangers have to be a lot more attacking at home. Yeah, there's going to be big pressure on them to get something from that game. Uh, otherwise, they're, they're pretty much finished. Um, I guess exciting is the word. Um, you know, people looked at it and they were like, especially with the comments that Klopp made, they were just thinking, is he just trying to persist with the same system and expect different results? Um, yeah, <laughs> and was that and was that kind of foolish? I didn't say insanity there because that when people say that that's the definition of insanity, I'm always like it doesn't really make sense that that would be. But anyway, that's a completely. Uh, that's, yeah, I'm not calling Jurgen insane. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> that's just a complete tangent. But um, 
you couldn't accuse Klopp, as what I said before the game, you couldn't accuse him of not being bold. Um, so it was kind of, I think that's why it was exciting. It was like, you didn't know how well it was going to work, but at least you knew that maybe he was trying to, you know, turn the tide a little bit by being really aggressive. Um, and two things kind of stood out to me. Um, I think it enhanced Liverpool's pressing game. Um, I think the fact that Rangers played with that extra defender, almost the fact that we had the extra attacker to almost match up with them, um, I think helped us kind of cut off their supply lines completely. Um, and Liverpool expected Rangers to set up with the back five based on the comments that were made after the match. So uh, maybe it was a deliberate ploy from that point of view and it worked a treat, you'd have to say. And the other thing I'd say is the rotations between the four players. So I actually tweeted the heat maps of all four last night. Um, and you can see Salah is mostly sort of sticking to his um, normal positions. A lot kind of out wide, as you mentioned there, Chris, and obviously a little bit drifting inside as well. But then you've got really Jota, Diaz and Nunez, especially Jota and Nunez, who basically roam a bit all over the place. Um, and I think that can be really effective um, if it's executed well and if they're not just almost doing it for the sake of it. You know, the ability to kind of pose different questions to defenders, you know, different tests in terms of who's up against who, you know, really just confusing them, I suppose, by constantly being on the move and things being quite fluid, almost a little bit how you sort of saw um, with Manchester City last season and their, and their strikerless system. Because even though Nunez is technically probably the focal point in the system, how many times did we see him out wide yesterday? A lot. Yeah. Um, so I think if that's well executed, that can be a really effective weapon as well. And that was obviously one of the things that stood out and a little bit similar to what we saw maybe towards the end of last season when I think we had uh, Mane, Diaz and um, and Salah playing as a, fr- a front three and they rotated quite a lot and, uh, and that worked reasonably well. So that was another thing that really stood out to me. Um, and obviously just having that extra attacker means that, I mean, there's always going to be a degree of kind of rotation between those forward players but yesterday I think given that so many of them can play in a slightly different role within that four then it's a maybe a little bit more natural um but yeah that that was something that stood out and we'll talk a little bit more about the system and whether it should be retained for Arsenal when we come on to that game uh, in a little bit but yeah man of the match contenders Chris um kind of hard to pick out a standout player because it was probably a good team performance I'd say but who, who were the names that really jumped out for you I was thinking that right at the end. I was thinking, who would I give man of the match to? It was pretty much as you say, there wasn't a player that you look at and think they were outstanding from minute one to minute 90. But um, my the one I gave it to was Costa Simicast, really, not least for his heroic bit of defending late on. And I don't think it can, I don't think it can be underestimated how important that was because as comfortable as it seemed if that goes in at the far post um, for a tap-in then the last 10 minutes could be absolutely manic so I think that I think it was very important from him um, I think it was a good reaction to being subbed early on against Brighton as well I thought he was very good down that left-hand side. Um, set pieces were improved from him as well, I felt. And look, he, he's a great deputy. He's obviously having to play a bit more 
um, than usual with, with Robertson having a very rare injury. But I think he was the standout for me. Um, of course, you've got to throw in Alexander Arnold, who I thought dealt pretty well with Ryan Kent overall and obviously scored a great goal. Um, and yeah, I think in a game where there weren't too many performances that stood out in terms of individuals, um, I would I would go for the two fullbacks in particular, Kostas and Makas. Yeah, I thought Simakas was a little bit poor against Brighton. You know, I'm a huge fan of his and, you know, he didn't get too much criticism. But his sort of attack and play was kind of yeah. non-existent, I thought, in that game. Um, and also... The decision-making sort of, as well, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and I think partly culpable as well for the problems we were saying at the other end. You know, that I think we kind of said afterwards, you know, almost the whole back four, except Matip came out with that one not looking great but much better from him yesterday and I completely agree with with what you said about the uh what if they'd scored late on then who knows they'll have a poor response to that given how fragile they seem to be right now um understandably given the results but it would have been a dangerous situation Trent you know all I mean I was thinking about this yesterday you know in terms of players who've been sort of talked about in the amount of times spent covering a particular player. He's probably second only to Haaland this season. Um I I would say. And it probably isn't too much of a difference even between those two players because at a certain point you kind of run out of, of things to say about um about Haaland. But to have that level of scrutiny on you, I think you know we've really got to appreciate how huge a task that is. And obviously part of it is self inflicted but players go through bad spells is a, is a particularly bad spell. Um, so it was really good to see him have, you know, obviously for Liverpool to score that first goal is the main thing. But also, I think if anyone in that stadium could have picked the first goal scorer, I think it would honestly have been Trent rather than Nunez, um, given that he did look almost looked a bit of a shell of himself, I'd say, against Brighton. So, you know, you need that confidence booster moment. Um, did you see the interview afterwards with Henderson? Saying I, I with, did, with, yeah, with with BT, and he was saying, you know, we as players, we're not robots. We're not immune to social media abuse. It does actually get to us at times. Yeah, um, and I think that I think that is important because I, I was thinking after the game on on Saturday, you know, the, the the lad has been through a lot, and especially when when we when we were talking about how public the Southgate comments were about comparing him to Trippier. Um, it's not it's not good for for a young lad. He's twenty three years old. You know, he's three years younger than me, but how he's he's completed football in terms of what stuff he's been able to win at Liverpool. That almost doesn't get talked about enough, really. And I know a lot of it is you've got to focus on the here and now and what's happening. But, you know, the lad has pretty much done everything at such a young age. And even that takes a lot of takes a toll on you. So, yeah, um, I think it's. Important that sometimes people just think, you know, would I like this abuse thrown at me? Probably not. Yeah, I think that it's just that incredible volume of people sort of wanting him to fail, given, you know, as this sort of really high profile English player who's been compared to so many positional peers, you know, compatriot, things like that. Um, a, a lot of people just kind of reveling in any sort of spell of form. Um, that doesn't go his way. But other players I'd mention Henderson. 
not a perfect game for him, but did also pick out a few beautiful passes, I thought. So he deserves credit because, you know, he gets sort of his routine round of criticism. Um, and like you mentioned with social media, he's probably had to just almost uh, silence those apps, maybe delete them all together um, in the past few weeks and months. And the other one I'd say is uh, Van Dyke, And this is probably what we should expect from him in terms of his performances. But I thought he was much more aggressive in his defending yesterday, really sort of chasing and engaging the attacker, which was usually Morelos. Um, and it was it was good to see it. I think it worked quite well, but he was much, much um, more akin to his usual self yesterday. So I'd give him a mention. Hard to pick him out of the match, to be fair. I probably wouldn't deviate too far from uh, from Simicast, I'd say. But yeah, one player who had a more of a mixed night uh, was Darwin Nunez. Obviously had a lot of shots, but wasn't able to get that first downfield goal. I think he had uh, six shots overall. So, Chris, uh, what did you think of his performance? I was happy, really. I was happy with the movement. I was happy with the fact that he was getting into those goal-scoring chances. And I think there would have been a lot more frustration and a lot more concern had he not got into those positions than him not scoring in those positions. I think if if you look at the the three chances in isolation, the first one where the ball over from Henderson and and the takedown and finish, he's very timid with it in terms of takes the control and then looks to to side foot it and it's it's you know not not straight at McGregor as such but it's a more comfortable save for McGregor than I think um a lot of people maybe thought at first but that's just because when when you're in that kind of form you you want to place it as opposed to lashing it um but that was you know maybe just a, you know, a sign of when you when you are going through a bit of a lean spell and getting used to a new club, then his second one, oh, agonizing, agonizing because it's a great run. He's done everything right. He's just been met with a fantastic save at the near post, and then to be right behind it and see it, you know, ripple the side netting from the outside. It, it, it was painful, but uh, you know, again, I think you could see from his reaction that he couldn't quite believe it had gone wide. And then the third one. Um, again, good run, and I think he did the right thing taking it first time. It was just a bit central and made the save easier for McGregor in terms of it, it wasn't in the corners as such, so it was a save that Al McGregor would have expected to make. But it, it's funny you mentioned about the drifting out wide. It is a source of a little bit of annoyance for me, even though I know he played further to the left at Benfica. Just because score, goal scorers and um, strikers, they get their goals in the box, don't they? They don't get them from out wide. Um, I want to see him being the man to get on the end of those crosses as opposed to being the man putting the crosses in. Uh, and there were, there were lots of good signs. So I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to look at the positives. Um, I think he's a, he's a finisher who's better when almost reaction, reacting to the ball as opposed to having to compose himself to, to finish chances. But I've got no doubt that if he continues to play like that, we will see um, the best of Darwin Nunez soon. And look, I think the whole situation with Nunez has been made 
or have been hyped a lot more given what Haaland has done. Because what Haaland has done is ridiculous, really. And it's all it's it's put pressure on Nunez, but really Nunez just has to forget about that, has to play his own game because we can't compare anyone in the world to Haaland right now. And obviously at the start of summer there was that Nunez Haaland debate. But Haaland, look, he's in a he's in a conversation of his own. Just leave him there. Leave Nunez to do his own thing. And the more minutes he gets, the more used he'll get to the system. And hopefully yesterday was a sign of things to come. I think you're absolutely bang on about Haaland. It was something I thought of yesterday in terms of he's it's just not dis- fair. He's distorting the standard, really. You know, there's no sort of almost precedent for a striker having that kind of impact straight away in terms of, of goals. So he just needs to think of it more in terms of, you know, the season as a whole, I'd say. And even then, I think it's a sign and that needs to be judged over a longer period than just one season. But obviously, you need to see enough in that first season to continue with, with the project. And yesterday, um, to take a balanced look, I think the movement was was really good. You know, you might say we haven't had a orthodox number nine for a while and, and maybe that that was just standard movement a lot of the time. But the reality is it, if he keeps making the runs that he is and finding the space that he is, then he's going to get a lot of chances uh, within this system. Um, and then the challenge is to take them. And let's be honest, yesterday his finishing was pretty poor. Um, I think that especially the one where he takes it Side footed on his right, he just needs to hit that with his left foot. Um, yeah, yeah, and that, that 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 that's a sign of maybe a little bit of a lack of confidence in those positions. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's probably what, what it reflects. And also, you know, the end product generally as well. You know, sometimes with the crosses he was going for, things like that. If he if he isn't going to be the one having the shot, so those things need to improve. The foundation is there in terms of being in the positions. Now it's can he um, deliver the execution too, and hopefully we we find that out really in the common weeks because this should hopefully yield a bit more game time um, for him because he played sort of like 78 minutes or so yesterday. Um, just to f- tie up the whole range of discussion, then we'll move on to Arsenal for the last part of the podcast. We've seen Liverpool batter Bournemouth uh, 9-0. We've seen Liverpool play really well against Ajax and win. And then the next game, the, the, the standards kind of slip again. Yes, they beat Newcastle after Bournemouth, but it, they didn't play very well. So is our mindset right now that we don't read into this or can we afford to maybe be a little bit more excited because we've seen um, a change of system yield positive results? I think you've got to take into consideration the opponent and with all due respect to Rangers, um, you know, this is an opposition that don't, come up against the highest quality every week. Um, you know, I think a lot's been talked about the SPL in recent years, haven't they? Especially when uh, Adam Rooney went from Aberdeen to Salford in uh, in the National League. So I think that that was a move that, albeit there were a lot of finances involved in that, but that was a move that was scrutinised quite heavily in terms of not being good for the Scottish game. Um, and I think it, it it's a result that look two 0 win happy days three points on the board but it's not something that I'm looking at and thinking this is the new way this is the new system just because of 
it was a game that Liverpool very much were expected to win um, against an opposition that have you know, proved themselves in Europe last year. I'm, I'm not discrediting them. They reached the Europa League final against some incredibly difficult opponents. But it's not um, something that... It's not a result that kind of got got me out of my seat, if, uh, if I'm being uberly critical. Um, I'm glad that I've always said, when it comes to the back-to-back games in the middle of the group, I always want the pot four team, just because I think it gives you that chance for back-to-back wins in the group and that little bit of momentum, a chance to get a quick six points on the board, if you like. And as I mentioned earlier, Rangers have to be more attacking next week, which hopefully will play into Liverpool's hands. But um, not sure it's a system that can be implemented in the Premier League, if I'm overly honest. But we'll see, because if, if he does the same at Arsenal, then you mentioned about it being bold last night. <sighs> be a whole new level of bold on Sunday if it goes with it. Yeah, and we'll, uh, we'll come on to that, I suppose, when we do our, our team selections uh, for Sunday and how Liverpool might set up. I think the only thing I'd say on that is, obviously, it's difficult to gauge, as we mentioned in the pre-match podcast, how good Rangers are. Um, Obviously, reached the Europa League final last season, but then also, bottom of this group, conceded quite a few goals. They don't they've scored themselves. Um, and they look kind of there's a little bit of a whipping boys there about them so far, but next week I think is going to be a different ball game for us. Um, playing at Ibrox and obviously we harness the atmosphere last night. They'll be doing the same, and that I think is when we'll get a sense really of how good they are. Because I didn't watch the game against Napoli, but the consensus seems to be that they played um really well there for a large part of that, and were maybe um a bit unlucky um, with the scoreline. So. Could be a much bigger challenge for Liverpool uh, in Glasgow. But yeah, let's move on to Arsenal. Um, and as usual, we'll take a sort of general look at the opposition first before we look at Liverpool's um, perspective. So, Chris, how impressed have you been uh, with Arsenal's start to the season? Obviously, uh, table toppers. And the more interesting part of the question, I'd say, how high do you think they're capable of finishing this year? Considering, you know, last year they were fifth, but not capable of, of making a bit of a jump. I've been extremely impressed um, by a number of factors, really. I said pre-season that Gabriel Jesus would be my signing of the season. Unfortunately, um, there's a certain Norwegian that I think has probably already secured that tag. But I think that he could easily be second on the list. I think he's changed the way Arsenal are seen. I think he's changed the way Arsenal play. I think... You see that, because I, I, I was never his biggest fan at Manchester City, and maybe it's because he never got that regular game time. And even when he played last season, he was playing on the right wing, which confused me, really, when you've got a player who I've always thought is kind of best down the middle. But when you see him getting regular football now, he's the undisputed first choice at Arsenal. It's really improved him in terms of getting regular football. And I think a lot of the Arsenal performances go through him. Even in games that he's not scoring goals, he's getting so involved, he's linking up plays. You know, he's, in in a way, he's kind of linked up plays a bit like um, Firmino, really. And I think the two players are probably a lot similar than what a lot of people might have thought. Um, but Jesus really, really has impressed me. You know, Martinelli, Saka... Odegaard, you know, we are talking about top, top quality players here. And they've got a multi-million pound signing of Fabio Vieira, who 
has to set up for a place on the bench most weeks and yet scored that fantastic goal at Brentford. So it just shows the strength and depth they have. And at the back is where they've really impressed me in terms of Arsenal's mentality of recent years has been so fragile. You look back, say, to the Newcastle game at the back end of last season where they needed to win to to keep the Champions League in their own hands and they completely blew it because the mentality wasn't there. Um, they they just were overawed by the whole situation and, and they lost 2-0 at St. James's Park and never really looked like winning the game, really. But the, it, it's just changed in terms of the, the solidarity. Even Xhaka, who's on his about a, th- a thousandth chance at Arsenal, you know, he, he's been he's been performing really well in the midfield as well. And the just going on the defence, I mean, Saliba and Gabriel, amazing, absolutely amazing. I think Saliba is, in, well, Saliba is in my team of the season right now. If I had to select one, um, Zinchenko was a great signing. Then White's adjusted to right back a lot better than I thought he would, and Ramsdale is a very able goalkeeper, which I wasn't saying at times um, during his spells at Sheffield United and Bournemouth. So overall, it's a lot better, and you've got to give Arteta a lot of credit for what he's done there because there was there was criticism when he went in when it wasn't going swimmingly, but um, he's done really well so far. And to answer your question about how high they can finish, I would expect them now. Because effectively, they're not short of a quarter way done. Um, I would expect them to finish in the top four now, given their start of the season, because I think it's something that they're capable of carrying on. Big call early on, I know, and there's a lot of games to play, but if Arsenal don't finish in the top four now, I think there would be an immense sign of, I think there'll be an immense feeling of frustration at the club. Yeah, definitely. Um, To blow it now. it's almost unthinkable it's for them. Because, I think. You know, we're talking about blowing it after the after only a few games in, but generally they have you know, they've won seven. You know, they've only lost one game, haven't they? So, yeah, <laughs> I think if you looked at it as well, and you said you know usually need about seventy points to get in the top four. If you sort of broke it down and said how many wins they'd need from however many games are left to get seventy points, then you'd think, okay, it will be a bit of a fumble from here because to pick up as many as they have so far, they're already quite a long way down that road. In terms of my sort of feelings on them, I think you kind of see the power of a club that's united and a club where the atmosphere is really, really healthy. And it's probably not a happier club in the Premier League right now than Arsenal, you'd have to say. Um, and that's evident on the pitch. I think it's important when a club is building like Arsenal are that they have kind of a almost a transformers to transfer window um, to take that next step. And Arsenal seems to have had that. You know, you can kind of think of Saliba as a new signer because he's barely played. Um, Jesus as well. And and Zinchenko coming in obviously shouldn't be overlooked either. And, and all those players have um, definitely taken Arsenal um, to another level, you'd have to say. And, you know, you've also got the existing players that were there. The likes of Saka and Martinelli are the two big ones. But a whole, you know, group of of young players who who are just entering or not even in their primes yet. And, you know, the fact that they're going to be theoretically getting better almost year on year um, is really exciting for Arsenal and, and is going to be sort of the foundation of long-term what, what could be a push for, for silverware this season. Obviously, that's kind of out of the question, I'd say. You know, Arsenal won't win the league, but there's kind of this group of teams behind them and it's 
you're almost waiting on Chelsea under Potter to fully get going um, and you make your assessment to them. And then, you know, you see if Tottenham can... I think Tottenham are sort of sliding a bit right now. So where are they going to settle? What's their sort of level going to be? United under Ten Hag, um, obviously taking some bad defeats, but also we're on a decent run before City. Um, and then Liverpool, you know, what are they going to are they going to be able to restore normality a little bit? Um, but right now they look capable of, of finishing in the top two. But we'll see how long how long that lasts because obviously they're going to keep up this form for the season. And you think their rivals will improve. But moving on to the Liverpool point of view, I guess. We'll do our lineups and the system question all in one because it makes sense to do it that way. So yeah, Chris, um, what's your eleven uh, for the weekend? And it sounds like you might be maybe moving away from that four-four-two based on what you said. So why is it that you would do that if that's the case? I would do it based on how fluid Arsenal are going forward, um, and I think the crucial thing that would make me move away from it is if you look at last night Fabinho didn't start and Fabinho has to start on Sunday I know he's not been in amazing form but he is the best defensive mid at the club he's one of the best defensive mids in the league and to kind of stem Arsenal's attacking play he has to play which moves me back to a midfield three um a large of a large amount of the team is unchanged. Um Allison, Trent, Matip, Van Dyke, and Simicas. I, I was thinking at, obviously with Canate back, my issue is over the next run of games, it's it's where you get him that time. Because that's why I wanted to kind of get to three or four last night to get Canate on for maybe a Matip and just get him back in the feeling of the game. But I don't think you can play him in his first game at Arsenal. I don't think you can play him in his first game at C- uh, against City, just because I think that would be quite a baptism of fire for him. Can you start him next week at Ibrox? Possibly, if he's up to it. Um, but we'll we'll wait and see. Uh, midfield, Fabinho, Thiago Henderson. Just because, again, I, I repeat myself from Brighton, didn't go very well. but. I'm calling for for a solid start first because I don't think we can afford a bad start against Arsenal like it's happened so many times this season and I think I was expecting Elliot to start last night as I think you were obviously the change of system changed that I don't think you can play Elliot from the start in this game just given how well Arsenal have been playing at the moment Um, and then the front three is Salah on the right Diaz on the left and I am starting Darwin Nunez over Diogo Jota because I think he'll have the bit between his teeth after yesterday. And I think it's a display that he will want to build on, that Klopp will want to see him build on. And the only way, and I sound like a broken record, but the only way that he can build on it is if he plays. So... That's my starting eleven: Allison, Alexander-Arnold, Matip, Van Dijk, Simakas, Fabinho, Thiago, Henderson, Salah, Diaz, Nunez. See, I kind of bottled it with my team selection, and <laughs> what I mean by that is Klopp said yesterday that it wasn't a game-dependent system change. So I was like, 
okay, let's just assume he is going to go 4-4-2 and select the 4-4-2 rather than make what the thing that I bottled is making a judgment on, on, on the formation. My, my concern with it is, you know, for all the benefits, I feel like it's quite easy to get outnumbered in mm-hmm. midfield when you do that. So, you know... Well, Arsenal yeah, have three, won't they? Have, exactly. Certainly, essentially, they'll have Odegaard, Jacker, and Partey. But, but the thing is, as well, you know, say you have um, Thiago and Fabinho, and you use Trent as kind of an inverted fullback to augment that midfield like like City and Arsenal do. That was one of the things that I wrote about before the game. And obviously, it was, I was feeling quite, <laughs> feeling quite proud of myself when it, that did actually happen once or twice yesterday, um, using Trent in that way. So you can do that. But then I feel like if you're Arteta, you look at it and you still think you can maybe get that fourth player into the middle and still create uh, the overload, really. Um, so that would be... My possible concern with it is um, is getting outnumbered in there, and it, it does feel like a very aggressive setup um, to go to to go to the Emirates, the, the sort of most informed team in the league, to rock up with kind of four attackers and two midfielders on paper would be very bold, and that is going to have to be sort of that safety net there, maybe more so than yesterday when you could almost be a, a, afford to be really aggressive and probably benefit from. From being that aggressive in a way, certainly, um, with the pressing game. In terms of a team selection, if we are gonna retain that four four two, then the only changes I'd make from last night are Fabinho coming in for Henderson, like like you say. Um, just because I I kind of back him more from that defensive standpoint, even though Henderson played well yesterday, and I'd be Thinking about Firmino for Jota because Jota did make more sense. Did seem to be almost dropping into more of a, a second striker role yesterday, and he has, I checked before the game, he has got some experience of playing like that. I'm not sure it suits him best, to be honest, given what we know about his skill set and doing his best work in the penalty area. So if we are going to want to play who's more withdrawn than Nunez, then Firmino might be better suited to that. Um, just because, you know, obviously it's been a lot of talk about using him potentially as a number 10 and things like that. I don't think his play outside the box is what it used to be, but I'd probably back it still over what, what Jota can offer in those positions. So there's only one more thing that remains then, um, and that's to get score predictions. Obviously the start of what looks like a massive and, and pretty daunting week, but what, what score line are you expecting on Sunday, Chris? Just thought I might have to factor Jota's record against Arsenal into this prediction. Yeah, <laughs> off the bench. Um, you know, you you've got to go into the game positively. It'd be an immensely difficult game. It's a different Arsenal to the one that Liverpool have beat so convincingly in recent times, both home and away. But ultimately, let's look to 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 build on winning its ranges and build that momentum because it needs to change in the league at some point. We can't afford Arsenal to, I mean, if the worst was to happen, it would be a 14-point gap already, which would just be unthinkable, really. So, um, Arsenal 1, Liverpool 2. Let's uh, Diogo Jota winner off the bench. Yeah, I saw a a tweet yesterday and it had Jota as the Grim Reaper and he basically took out every Arsenal defender um, most recently, Ben White, and then he was sort of knocking on William Saliba's door. Well, it is um, nearly, it is nearly uh, Halloween. Yeah, so maybe, 
maybe his sort of vendetta against um <laughs> against Arsenal will continue and, and we'll reap the rewards of that. I think I don't feel confident enough based on what I've seen so far this season to predict a win. Um I'm gonna go for a two all draw uh, in this one, especially if we will go four four two, then I think it's potential to be fairly high scoring like that. But yeah, that's gonna do us for this episode. Remember all the usual stuff. Please give us a five-star review on Spotify if you enjoyed it um, and a positive view on any other podcast platform. There's a link to our YouTube channel where we sometimes post clips of episodes in the description. And there's also a link to our Twitter page. So give us a follow on there or, you know, you can give us a shout on there, obviously, with any sort of podcast-related questions or thoughts, anything like that. But yeah, thanks for listening to today's episode. And until next time, take care.